Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots and American taxpayers, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at the end of the week, Friday, January 10th. Boy, man, it has been a long, draining week. I have a headache. Um, I'm recording later than I wanted to today because I've been working on this very long essay on the courts, which we're going to talk about today in long form. You know, one of the things that I know many of you like about this show is that we'll discuss things that nobody else is talking about, but they're not these in the weeds, esoteric things. They're the linchpin of our civilization. Stuff on immigration, healthcare, the courts, foreign policy. When you talk about the courts, every once in a while we do more of a thematic show on the courts and, and, and judicial power. And the point is, nothing matters until we as a nation, we as a budding movement, solve this one issue. So long as our political system, which includes all three branches of government, the states, the people, the media, the institutions, think tanks, law schools, are going to view the judicial branch of government as the final arbiter at any given moment or in the long term of any public policy issue in the abstract, not an individual civil or criminal case dealing with a person and his situation, but dealing with a broad public policy. And not just the Supreme Court now, but any district judge, even after the Supreme Court ruled the other way, but he could just say, hey, you know, I'm doing this and, and, and that's it. And the administration is just going to go for it. Our republic is done. All of our other political debates are moot. And Trump will be a lame duck for the remainder of his presidency. And that includes even a, a potential second term. So bookmark today's show and buckle up because this is going to be something you really want to send around and, and keep with you. Episode 557. Um, so let's go and bookmark this because we're going to go through a lot of recent news that you might not have heard about. Um, and frankly, probably very few of you have heard about some of these cases. Some of them have been in the news, but a lot has been going on in the courts that cut to the core of the character of our nation, the security of our nation, the future orientation of the na nation, and the very essence of governing power, of self-government. Who gets to control what happens? Who gets to control? Madison said in Federalist 49, the several departments, meaning the three branches of government, being perfect, perfectly coordinate by the terms of their common commission, neither of them, it is evident, can pretend to an exclusive or superior right of settling the boundaries between their respective powers. Now, when Madison said that, he meant the coordinate, meaning the Supreme Court. Even the Supreme Court, if they say, you know what, I think there's a right to immigrate. I think there's a right for Planned Parenthood to have funding. I think there's a right um, for 50 days of early voting. Well, that's a broad public policy issue. And the other branches, as, as Lincoln said with 
Dred Scott and the slavery decision, they have the right and indeed the responsibility to adhere to their oath of office and use their powers, which are more robust, the legislative branch branch to legislate the power of the purse, the executive branch to actually implement and enforce the laws. They have the obligation to execute the law and the Constitution the way they understand it. We say this all the time. Judicial, I don't oppose judicial review. Judicial review is not in um, some sort of conflict with separation of powers. It works together with it. it. It doesn't presuppose judicial supremacy. It's it's a proof against it. Because here's the deal. The same reason why a judge in a case properly brought before him has the right and indeed the responsibility to rule based on the Constitution and for his individual ruling to rule in a way irrespective of the actions taken by the other two branches of government. How much more so the other branches have an obligation to not give force to that ruling when they see the Constitution in conflict with what he just said. Just like the judge says, I'm not going to give effect to your criminal statute to punish John Smith because I think John Smith has such and such right. And I think John Smith doesn't have to pay this fine. I think John Smith doesn't have to go to jail. So I'm not going to convict him, even though the law should say I do, because I think the Constitution says the law is wrong. How much more so when a judge, not just, remember, it's not just the fact that judges don't have a veto power to put a negative on a positive action of administration. How much more so they don't have the, the ability to put a positive on a negative action, to demand that administrations must, must take a certain action. You must allow in such and such people from Somalia and give them welfare. They have a right to welfare. They have a right to this. Well, the law says they don't. So if I'm the president, if I'm the attorney general, if I'm the DHS secretary, I swore an oath to uphold the Constitution. I have to follow statute in this case. Everyone's like, but, but, but Daniel, but, but you're, you're defying the judge? The judge said that, well, what do you mean? The judge is defying the law and the Constitution, Supreme Court rulings, history, tradition, precedent, rules of standing. It goes in a circle. That's the problem. If the end point is that the judge could screw with anything the other branches could do, but they can't set aside what he does, then we don't have co-equal branches of government. But it's worse than that. I'm here to tell you that was the old debate when the Supreme Court was doing it. Now the left has a new rule. At any point, any district judge, irrespective of what higher court judges have just done. So forget about the other branches. So. The other branches disagree. The Constitution disagrees. Statute disagrees. Rules of standing say that you don't have the ability to to rule in that case. Because remember, even if the other branches do something that is wrong, that everyone knows is wrong, everyone knows violates the Constitution. You have to have valid standing. Courts don't rule on that. The courts don't have a veto power. They rejected that in with the Council of Revision in the Constitutional Convention. 
Courts don't have that, that power. What they do is a case properly in front of them, they could rule Smith v. Jones, Smith wins. That's all they do. So a court could grant relief to an individual plaintiff, but what a court can't do is, is veto something. That doesn't work. So remember, no such power exists, and it's time for us to lay that marker down. So earlier this week, what was it, on Wednesday, the Second Circuit upholds a lower court opinion saying, a judge in New York saying how it was repugnant for Trump, and for Trump to issue a modest order saying that those who come here as immigrants in order to get upgraded to a green card and eventually naturalization, you can't be a public charge. You can't be on certain welfare programs. Now, Trump didn't make that up. That is the most foundational principle. I mean, I could go on and on from endless, endless quotes from the colonial times on through all our founders that 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 the principle that immigrants have to be self-sufficient, public charge laws have been on the books forever. It's just in recent years, presidents haven't enforced it. Trump is finally enforcing it. And even Trump is the Trump administration is not fully enforcing the law. They have a lot of loopholes, pregnant women with Medicaid, all sorts of school lunch programs, all, all sorts of things. It's a very small set of things, meaning there's a lot of avenues for immigrants to come and still be, be very impoverished, be net takers rather than net contributors, and still not even be subject to this and still get a green card. So it's not like, oh, the law says he could do this, but Trump overshot it. No, he's actually undershooting it. It's as foundational as you can get. Yet one judge, this Clinton appointee, this Judge Daniels from New York, says there's no rational basis for what Trump did. He has no power. It's repugnant. He's evil. It's against our tradition. I mean, this is what they do. And um, I'm putting a nationwide injunction on it. Second Circuit upheld that injunction. So when everyone thinks, oh, we're remaking Trump with all these judicial appointments, is remaking all the circuits, it's not true. A lot of them are, are still as bad as ever before. And this is the second circuit that's based in New York. It covers um, New York, Connecticut, and Vermont, maybe one other state. And that's the story there. Now, I want to explain to you an amalgamation of factors that make this one of the most radical cases ever the most radical violation of powers imaginable. And how Trump has so many easily rhetorical and political avenues to finally use this as an impetus to push back against the courts. And I just want to say the top line elements of this will be in a very long essay published today with a lot of these quotes that we use and also um, some of the some of the hyperlinks where you could, you know, go in depth into some of these cases, the background a little bit more. It will take too long to really go in detail for each one. But this case has all the elements of the most egregious power grab. So first of all, think about the rules of standing. What's this case? This case is three state governments, attorneys general, New York, Vermont, and Connecticut, 
suing the federal government on this order. Now, you say, how does a state government get standing? A state now has the right to demand more immigrants and that they have the right to come here and access welfare? Like, so how do you, I mean, where's the standing? I'm saying it's not even an immigrant getting standing, which of course they can't get standing because there's no right to get a green card. There's no right to access welfare as a, as a foreign national. Um, indeed, according to law, they can't access welfare. Um, that's the irony. It's like, they're always like, Daniel, the law says they can't get it. Stop it. These people are good working people. They're, they're contributors. Okay, and then Trump issues an order. They're like, what do you mean? All these people are going to be out in the streets. They're not going to get their welfare. Well, I, I thought you just said that they don't get it. But anyway, that, that, that's a side point. But anyway, think about this. In U.S. v. Arizona, in 2015, what was that, 2014, the, the Supreme Court said, oh, immigration is so federal in nature that states can't even help and complement and supplement immigration enforcement laws. But as we said, the same courts are now saying states could get standing to thwart immigration enforcement and states could get standing to demand that we bring in more immigrants. I mean, they, they could start guiding immigration policy now. It's unbelievable. So again, freeze frame right here. Before we even talk about the merits, let's say Trump made this up. He just made it up. We, we, we didn't have... You know, since the colonial times, immigration statutes, this iteration since 1996, welfare reform law uh, on the books, um, you know, Trump having the power. Let's say he made it up. Totally made it up. States couldn't get standing. A court can't just rule on something. Courts don't have that power. Right? You have to have standing where someone has a right to something and they have a valid grievance um, that's redressable through a court and they get standing. So right away. Like, let's say, um, let's say a court would say Trump has to meet with Daniel Horowitz every Sunday morning um, over brunch to uh, indulge my um, my policy ideas and strategies. He has to listen to me. Does Trump need to appeal that ruling? No, I mean, it's null and void. Well, what do you do, Daniel? Well, this is what Hamilton meant when Hamilton said in Federalist 78 that courts have neither force nor will what did he mean by that they have neither force nor will okay what he meant by that he said quote the judiciary may truly be said to have neither force nor will but merely judgment and must ultimately depend upon the aid of the executive arm even for the efficacy of its judgments friends that was not a bug that was a feature they were given no enforcement mechanism. As Judge William Pryor of the 11th Circuit always says, they rely solely upon the um, effectiveness of their written opinions. Oh, wow, that's a good opinion. You know, I think you got the law right. But if they know transparently, like, you know, there's just no standing for that. You, that that's not a valid case. Again, I say all the time, let, let's say a judge openly would turn the lights on in his dark courtroom. There's no plaintiff, not even a straw man plaintiff. And they just rule, gavel, I'm putting an injunction on this Trump did. Well, Daniel, we have to appeal to the circuit court and then the Supreme Court. No, it, it doesn't go anywhere. I mean, even, even if it's a legitimate ruling, 
with legitimate standing and he's right on the standing and he's right on the merits. He's right on the Constitution. He's right on case law and history and tradition, right? Everything still. I mean, technically, there, there's no like lever that's pulled. There's no actuality. They rely upon the executive branch for the efficacy of their rulings. Now, if they get it right, I mean, and they have the power and it's like a criminal case, you know, you want to follow that. But, you know, certainly in this case, like, there's nothing to do. There is nothing here left to do. So that is the issue of standing. And I want to pull for you a quote from Trump at some point that I think is um, very important. I'm trying to pull this up on my computer, but that's number one. Number two, obviously, when you get to the merits, you cannot get to something more foundational than, um, you know, what has happened. More foundational than public charge. Okay? I mean, that is, that is just ironclad. Ironclad, ironclad power. Do you know how the sick irony? The plaintiffs in this case are New York. New York was the first state to implement public charge laws to ensure poor people don't land in, in New York's harbor. And a judge is saying, there's no rational basis. It's repugnant to our history, what you're doing. That's how sick this is. It's unbelievable. Completely unbelievable. This was the entire purpose of the Welfare Reform Act. It's written into the law. Congress actually expressed its sense when it wrote that, we have the quote in some of our articles on this. But, um, you know, this is this is very, very important. Very important. OK. So. Let's move on. This is not even the half of it. Right away, freeze frame, Trump should have never indulged this ruling. And now the Second Circuit upholds it. But it's even worse than that. It's even worse than what you think. Friends, Romans, countrymen. Other judges have already done the same thing. And this, by the way, just demonstrates how many radical judges there are. Everyone's like, oh, Trump's appointing all these judges. And I'm saying, God bless him. But I mean, if you're going to agree to judicial supremacism, the left already gained that out. They already have worked out exactly how they're going to do it, how they're going to work it. And um, what are you going to do about it? A Maryland judge and a Washington state judge did the same thing. Maryland's in the Fourth Circuit. Washington State is in the Ninth Circuit. The Fourth and Ninth Circuit, as you well know, are the most radical circuits. Both of them overturned those respective district judges and said, it wasn't just like, yeah, you know, let's take off the nationwide injunction for now, but let it... On the merits, they, they didn't rule on the merits, but they really tipped their hand. The ninth, the, the ninth Circuit, Ninth Circuit of all courts ruled, said that um, basically this is just um, the executive branch has been afforded the discretion to, to continue um, to, to, to continue with this plan. Public charge has always been left up to the administration to decide. This is how they're deciding it. It's fine. So it wasn't just like the nationwide injunction part that they didn't like. It was on the merits, too. The Ninth Circuit said this and the Fourth Circuit said this categorically. So we have the two most liberal circuit courts 
And yet still one New York judge is able to uproot our history tradition, not to mention Trump v. Hawaii, that if the president could deny entry, he could restrict it and condition it. Roberts admitted that the statute 1182F says that, right? It's two things. He could deny it categorically or he could have any variation of a condition. It's also 1150, 1152 also says the conditions too. It's the second statute. Um, this is it. The most foundational federal power a court is giving to the state government with no standing. And we're saying it applies nationwide. So that means theoretically, we are told you could have eight of the nine, not nine. What am I thinking here? Sorry. Um, uh, 10 of the 11 circuit courts, maybe if you include D.C., 11 of 12 saying Trump is right. You could have 93 of 94 district courts saying he's right. But one district judge and they're going to indulge just Trump. Look. You know me when I criticize the administration for not being assertive enough, for not doing what they can do. I'm fair about it. You have to have fair expectations. And as illegitimate as judicial supremacy is, I understand that it has been indulged for many, many decades to some degree. And I don't expect the president to go from zero to 100. I don't expect him to go his own way against the Supreme Court on very long-standing Supreme Court precedent, as wrong as it is, even though ideally that should be the case and we need to move in that direction. You have to politically be fair to the president. But when they're coming to this degree of stolen sovereignty, of open borders, of thwarting law, history, tradition, recent Supreme Court cases and other appellate courts. Just now, in the most absurd cases that people could understand to say you have a right to come here and collect welfare, people would be outraged. Trump could give a speech. Attorney General Barr could give a speech on this. This is the perfect opportunity because of all these factors to start pushing back. I'm not saying on the totality of judicial supremacism, but at least in this type of case. I'm not saying like, for example, another radical um, D.C. Circuit Court said um, he's they're staying all all um, capital punishments at a federal level until they come up with some sort of new process. Unbelievable. Right. I mean, it's the Supreme Court ruled on that in the, in the 70s. How do you how do you just do that? But um, I think it was a GOP appointee who, who did that. So, look. It's stemming from a specific case. I forget the name of the guy on death, death row. I'm not going to suggest that Trump go ahead and execute the guy. OK, that's that's they're putting a negative on his positive and it's the ultimate irreversible action right to execute. So on. I'm not even though he in my view, he has every right to do it. He is right. He has the law on his side. Um, you're, politically, you're not going to do that. I, and, and I'm not going to push him into that. I understand it. But they're saying you must cough up visas and welfare, green cards and welfare to foreign nationals and states get standing. I mean, how do you do that? But it's not just that he has the Supreme Court and the fourth and ninth circuits on his side. And here's the deal. If you don't do this, Mr. President, if you don't do this, they, they think, all right, just keep appointing better judges. Keep appealing. It's stupid. The Supreme Court will overturn it. First of all, sometimes they don't. They get very lazy. But it doesn't matter because the lesson is even after you get a win, 
If you are going to accede to the premise, which the administration has done, remember with William Barr and the census, oh, we would never think about not pushing, you know, about pushing back against the courts. There was a rumor that day that that the Trump administration was going to announce they're going going to finally do what we're suggesting. There's like, oh, we'll never do it. So what the left knows now is all they need to do is the Supreme Court could say, hey, I'll go back in a slightly different case to another district court. Done. Start all over again and again and again and again. That's what they're doing. This is what we need to understand. You can't win that game. They've changed their tactics because the end goal is the same. It's not like, oh, you know what? I'm going to agree to judicial supremacy and I'm going to play the rules. Something that's found, whose foundation is built upon tyranny and unconstitutionality doesn't play by consistent rules, even its own stupid rules. There's one rule. We win, you lose from the Democrat vantage point. So if it's not the Supreme Court, they'll go to lower courts. The same people who said for years Supreme Court is God and rules over the other branches of government. Now, lower courts are God and could rule over all three if it's a ruling in our favor. Because the bottom line is there is no stigma in the legal profession against lower courts being more progressive than than the Supreme Court. What do you think all of these radical opinions are? They themselves are violent. They're not just violations of law, history, tradition, and the Constitution. They're violations of previous Supreme Court precedent. Obergefell violated right gay marriage, saying that that's in the Constitution. I, I, I'm, I'm losing it here. It's like Humphreys or something. I think it was called Humphreys. There was a Minnesota case in 1979 that was nine to nothing, saying, of course, there's no constitutional right to a gay marriage. Lower courts overturned that right away. Now, they got the new Supreme Court to agree with them, but at the time, it was lower courts just screw, you know, screwing with it. Roe v. Wade, same thing. All, every case. This is what we're missing. We think, oh, we'll get it to the Supreme Court. Now, first of all, forget about the fact that so many of the Republican appointees on the Supreme Court are garbage. But even if they were solid, the left has a new rule. It doesn't matter. There's only finality when they rule for the left. Then Republicans are like, oh, there's nothing we can do. The Supreme Court said. Democrats are like, hey, hold my beer here. You know, lower courts come in, gone. This is what we're seeing with um, Heller on guns. The Supreme Court categorical ruling. To this day in Maryland, I cannot carry a single gun of a single caliber in any way. To this day, they're able to severely burden our rights and ban, you know, purchase or direct shipment of of um, magazines that hold more than 10 rounds. It's a huge burden because you can't buy anything online. I mean, unless. Unless it's a compact or some subcompact gun, any full size gun, the way the market is now, they're all more than 10 rounds. It's really annoying. You miss out on a lot of good sales um, or you get a screwed up order because of it. In, in a state like New Jersey, it's even worse. I just found out I went to a gun shop um, and it turns out the guy uh, you might even be listening is, is one of our listeners in the audience. It's a small world. Um, nice guy. And uh, he told me that in New Jersey, I didn't know about this. You're not allowed to own hollow points. 
I guess you could only have ammo that will have exit wounds and endanger, you know, people in your house. It could shoot into other homes. It could harm your family, go straight through the drywall. Um, I can't have hollow points. So he said he was a police officer in Maine and they had to extradite, you know, a criminal back to Maine from New Jersey. He was on his way. And then a New Jersey official calls him up and says, you know, you, you got to take out your hollow points as a cop. He was like, well, what do you like? I'm not allowed to do that. It was once it's in my duty weapon. I can't do that. And he had to get his police chief to, to call up and give them hell. And that's how crazy it is. A decade after Heller. Because the left is it's not like they have a principle, even erroneously, the judiciary reigns supreme or the courts reign supreme or where the feds reign supreme or the states reign supreme. No, it's they adapt to whatever they need. If it helps them to say the states control an issue, they're all for the states. If it's the feds, is it for the feds? If it's for the executive branch, it's there. If it's the judiciary, it's there. If it's the Supreme Court, they'll go with that. If it's a lower court, they'll go with that. But the problem is Republicans indulge that and agree to it. They keep changing the rules of the game. You can't win a game like that. Politics is an art. It's not a bean counting math. Oh, Trump appointed 160 judges. Yeah, but they have 700 others or so. And they're going to keep going to them. So that's that case. And it's the same thing with the travel ban. I, I wrote an article last week. The travel ban is, is, is repealed. Trump v. Hawaii said that the president... Well, well, what did Robert say again? Let's read Robert's language in the, in, in, in the ruling. By its terms, 1182F exudes deference to the president in every, in, in every clause. It entrusts the, to the president the decisions whether, whether and when to suspend entry, whose entry to suspend, for how long, on what conditions. It does vest the president with ample power to impose entry restrictions in addition to those elsewhere enumerated in the INA. And in doing so, he quoted the Sale case, Sale v. Haitian Immigrant uh, Society, in 1993, it was already established in 93 decision. Not that we needed the courts to tell us what statute says in, in plain open light and what Clarence Thomas says is inherent Article II presidential authority anyway, even without delegated statutory authority. And yet the lower courts, I mean, the administration, just this last year, from uh, December 2017 to October 31st, 2019, 11,325 people have been deemed qualified for waivers from Iran, um, Somalia, Syria, Yemen, and Libya, I believe. So but he barely shut off visas from any country, only a few of them, and even then, 11,325. Now, they haven't been granted yet. I don't know those numbers. They're, they're a lot less than that, but they have been deemed eligible for waivers, so potentially they will come in. Why? Why, according to AP, they have a whole article on this. It's because of fear of lawsuits, because the lower courts are indulging these lawsuits, granting standing. So they give in. I, I don't know what to say. Oh, Daniel, appeal it. You just did. You can't get a more categorical ruling than what the Supreme Court just said. But they come back with a little nuance again and again and again. At some point, you got to put your foot down. Drives me nuts.
Let me give you another case that happened recently. Now, this is a good case. A good case. But it demonstrates the problem. I wrote about this two and a half years ago. This Judge Mark Goldsmith from, from the Eastern District of Michigan ruled that gave class action status certification to all Iraqi criminal aliens being deported. There were 1,500 of them, hundreds of them with murder and rape convictions. They even served time. And now a lot of it was on the back end of the sentence. They were now ready to be deported. Said, well, if they go back to Iraq, they're going to be persecuted. So you can't do it. Now, before we debate the veracity of that political view, the law doesn't matter. Like, even if that were true, so then, you know, you have to advocate in a political process to change the law. But pursuant to law, they're criminal aliens. They have to be deported. You know, the fact that there's bad stuff going on in their country, that doesn't, that's not, a, a judge can't, virtue signaling is not a law. That, that is a power grab. That is a violation of law. That is civil disobedience. Everyone's like, Daniel, do you want Trump to not listen to the judge? Well, the judges aren't listening to, um, to, uh, to, 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 to the law. The, the judge literally said there, I don't have the quote on me, but I remember I wrote about it at the time. He like admitted, so it's not just on the merits. Congress actually explicitly in statute, 8 USC 1252 uh, F1, stripped the lower courts. Only the Supreme Court could ever give um, class certification in the context of, of immigration. So you give a class certification, um, a class action lawsuit. It literally, he meaning even if he was right on the merits, statute says you can't do that. You can't have class certification. And he did this at several stages. First to say you have to give them bond hearings. You can't detain them. Then you can't deport them. And then there was a third one. Remember, U.S. v. Ginsburg, 1917, Supreme Court said, an alien who seeks political rights as a member of this nation can rightfully obtain them only upon the terms and conditions specified by Congress. Courts are without authority to sanction changes or modifications. Their duty is rigidly to enforce the legislative will. So that's that. So what happened was, every the judge kept doing this, and every time, the Sixth Circuit kept slapping it down. And he would do it again and, and and again. So finally, last week, the Sixth Circuit finally slapped down the third one. And, and Judge John, uh, Sutton, um, who was just really just like Jeffrey Sutton, was just like totally annoyed already enough with this garbage. Um, he said, where is this? I'm just losing here in my notes. He was like, there is no... Um, legitimacy whatsoever and what 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 they're doing and there's no there's no he has he said you have no jurisdiction whatsoever just like with the previous two it's the same thing here but you know what it's remanded back to the district judge he'll do it again because there's another dimension to this and the sixth circuit opinion mentioned this we talked about this last year there's a case jennings v rodriguez so what what the courts have been doing is they've been blocking so many ICE detentions of the worst criminal aliens by saying, coming up with all sorts of reasons why they're entitled to bond hearings. And every time the Supreme Court slaps it down, 
and not just like in a technical grounds, but categorically. The Congress stripped them of the authority to deal with it, much less that they're wrong in the merits. But every time they come back in another case. So let's say there's 5 million criminal aliens in the country. They'll have 5 million excuses for each one uniquely, despite a Supreme Court opinion. I'm trying to explain to you why if you're going to indulge this, you can't rely on, oh, the Supreme Court will slap it down. So last year, we thought we were finally done with this. this. In Jennings v. Rodriguez, they said there's no right to this. And, and the Sixth Circuit said this, too. But, like, it doesn't matter. The district judge knew about that ruling, too. They don't care. They don't care. Let's move on to the next one. There's a lot of news going on with refugee resettlement now. We talked about Trump gave us the opportunity to fight this at a local level, that you need the state and county governments to agree to refugee resettlement. I have a good piece out today on Minnesota, one county government agreeing to it. Also, philosophically, everything that's wrong with the program. There's going to be news later today I'm hearing. You'll probably hear it by the time you hear the show, but as of now, I can't officially say but a friend of mine has sent me there's going to be a major governor to be the first one to finally reject. But so far, 19 of 27 GOP governors have agreed to it. But nonetheless, these refugee resettlement contractors just went to court in Maryland yesterday to pick a Maryland judge to put a nationwide injunction on this order. Now, he didn't do it yet. It was just oral arguments, but it's everyone agrees he's going to do it. It's, he clearly indicated that that was his intention. So that's going to come any any day now. District Judge Peter Messied. He asked the DOJ lawyer in oral arguments, on what authority is the president acting? Why change it now? Is it purely a political thing? What a rich irony. Where's your authority as a judge to mandate refugee resettlement? Where is your authority to grant standing? Again, let's focus on the standing. Do you know who the plaintiffs are in this case? Not potential refugees living in Somalia because they can't get standing. It's the refugee resettlement contractors. Imagine that. You get taxpayer funding, you're a bunch of parasites, and then you get standing to sue against that policy because, oh, I have a, I have a grievance because it's going to affect my revenue. It's the same thing you do with Planned Parenthood, that they have a right to funding and then they get to sue also against certain immigration policies because it will affect their bottom line that, that they get from taxpayer funds. It's, it's unbelievable. Sonam and Gamara, how a judge could do that. Now, obviously, on the merits, the president, again, could reject and or put conditions on entry. He could say, I'm not taking any refugees. And he could say, I'm taking them if states agree. But, now, by the way, he has a double coding of um, power. It's the general 1182F, but also the 1980 Refugee Act, meaning the president has the shutoff power when he believes it's in the national interest on any immigration, but then refugees in specific, is specifically given over to the president to determine how many he wants to bring in. And then number three, statute says that states actually do have to have input. Again, other presidents violated that. He's finally implementing it, and then judges are codifying as with all of this stuff with the public charge, the violations of everything else. Let me 
give you one more case before we um before we get to the punchline here. Okay. Um and I just gotta look up a comment from Trump. It's driving me nuts. Um I just have to see where this is here because the president had a a comment that I think is very, very important here um, to get out. So you have the border wall. Now, some of you might say, all right, Daniel, there's a lot of bad news in the courts, but what about the Fifth Circuit? Didn't we win the Fifth Circuit that's become more conservative? Trump appointed a lot of judges there. Look, you know, they they just gave him the go-ahead and an overturn the injunction of the El Paso judge on the $3.6 billion in DOD military construction funding to be used for a border wall. So look, you know, we're starting to overturn some of these bad decisions. The Fifth Circuit, the Fifth Circuit agreed. Folks, it, this is a perfect illustration of the point I've been making. I could do you better. You want to say the Fifth Circuit agrees with you? I'll do you one better. The Supreme Court in December agreed with the president in a similar lawsuit in California, a similar environmental group sued and they got an injunction in the um, California District Court and they got it agreed upon in the Ninth Circuit. And the Supreme Court was like, dude, there's no standing. Like even they didn't rule on the merits, whether the president violated the or not, but whether he did or didn't, how does an environmental group or like concerned citizens living near the border have a standing as an aggrieved party to say the president is chewing up military construction projects and diverting the funding. Find me some sort of military construction, you know, recipient that has standing and maybe you could get standing, but (laughs) how do you, how do you do that? Supreme. So it wasn't like the Supreme court, like took away the injunction, didn't say anything. They said there's no standing. So Hold my beer. El Paso judge comes, similar type of plaintiffs, exact same principle, but it's a different location, slightly, it's a different name, ignores it. So the point is, this is not a victory. They're going to do it again and again and again. You're never going to get, okay, look, Daniel, you're right. We shouldn't have to go through and put these policies on hold for weeks, months, but eventually we'll win. No, you don't win because eventually they win. They always get it. None of this fits on a bumper sticker. It's very hard. Other than the only bumper sticker line I have is the capacity of a good judge to do good is nowhere near the capacity of a bad judge to to do bad. This is what everyone is missing. They're going to continue to win until the president puts an end to it. He only has to do it one time and this whole House of Cards falls. The vision of our founders that they knew that if the courts ever grabbed power, they would be reminded of their impotence, as, as, as Justice Scalia said in his closing lines on the gay marriage opinion. Except where Scalia was wrong is that I don't think Scalia envisioned that it would get this far and, and, and presidents wouldn't remind them of their impotence. And I don't mean to be nitpicky. I, I really don't. But like the president put out a tweet, breaking news, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals just reversed a lower court decision and gave us the go ahead to build one of the largest sections of the desperately needed southern border wall. Gave us the go ahead. 
look, I know this is a victory. It's not like he's doing it in a bad case, but ugh, it gives me such heartburn. Pre Mr. President, no, you have that authority. Gave us the go ahead. They don't have that authority. The more you indulge that and speak like that, the more you legitimize the cases we just mentioned where, where you know, they ruled the other way. And it's not just on immigration. They're doing this on every issue. They're doing it. Trump just issued a bunch of um, um, really important uh, regulatory reforms to get rid of the global warming stuff. Meaning, meaning until now, the, what the federal government is doing, they have to um, do an impact study, environmental impact study. Anytime you want to drill for oil, you want to do a big construction project in order to as part of giving that company a permit, you have to uh, do a conduct a whole um, impact study. And what they've been doing is they'll they'll just filibuster it to death. They'll go on for 10 years and and never do it so trump put a hard deadline of a year for smaller projects two years for bigger projects made some reforms and again this this sits at the nexus of national security i mean the courts are well on their way to shutting off the great drilling and shale um uh, fracking shale boom miracle that allowed us to to totally own iran and ensure there was no oil crisis they're, they're going to totally screw with that as they are with all the regulations as they are with the with what he's doing on, on right to conscience. Every single thing. And remember, we're told legislatively, oh, there's nothing I can do. I won't use my veto pen. I won't have a budget fight. Even when we have control of both branches, well, the filibuster, so I can't do anything legislatively. All you're left is with your executive power. So if you're going to indulge the courts, continuing prior, you know, law, lawless actions of prior presidents, or creating their own lawless policies, policies, we're done. Nothing matters until this issue is dealt with. Nothing, I tell you folks. Nothing matters. Look, the bottom line is, the bottom line is, the Congressional Research Service said this a couple years ago. CRS, the early history of the United States is replete with examples of all three branches of the federal government playing a role in constitutional interpretation. Lincoln warned in his fifth debate with Stephen Douglas, Galesburg, Illinois, October 7th, 1858, that by accepting Dred Scott, quote, Douglas commits him to the next decision whenever it comes as being obligatory as this one, since he does not investigate it and won't inquire whether this opinion is right or wrong. Douglas teaches men this doctrine and in so doing, prepares the public mind to take the next decision when it comes without any inquiry. There's no limit. I mean, that, that's the problem. And, and, and he demonstrated this. Again, I know I've said this before, I've written it before, but it's one of my favorite observations. Roger Taney was the guy who wrote the... Decision, 1858, Dred Scott, blacks are chattel, their property, and to, um, to uh, get rid of slavery is to, um, or, or to allow states to vote on it in the territories would uh, violate um, due process and uh, you know, property rights. How rich was it? As Abraham Lincoln was being inaugurated on March 4th, 1861. Raising his right hand 
and putting it on the Bible, swearing an oath to the Constitution. Guess who held that Bible out? None other than Chief Justice Roger Taney. He had to sit there in the audience and obsequiously issue the oath of office to the man who said in his inaugural address that, quote, the policy of the government upon vital questions affecting the whole people is to be irrevocably fixed by decisions of the Supreme Court the instant they are made in ordinary litigation between parties and personal actions? Unquote, no way. And he promised as executive branch to take executive actions that comply with the real constitution. And indeed, he gave um, citizenship documents to blacks, emancipation. He gave them passports, um, even though the Supreme Court said that they were not citizens. Well, he said they are citizens. And guess who controls citizenship? Immigration. This was citizenship. The executive branch. He reminded Roger Taney of his impotence. That is the president's challenge. There is no other choice for his presidency. There is no other choice for the future of this republic. This is not even a right or left issue. You cannot have a republic like this. Where any district judge, as long as it's a left-wing ruling, at any point, no matter the circumstances, no matter the fact that it's not judicial power, it's not a case or controversy, could just have a veto power, and worse than that, demand affirmative actions be taken by the executive branch without that being challenged in any way. We need to build a movement behind this. This is the force multiplying issue behind every issue we talk about. Now, what would have happened if um, a district judge would have gotten wind of the Soleimani killing and said, or let's say Trump would have like warned about it. Hey, Soleimani, watch your back. You know, you keep this up. I'll take you out. And, you know, Ilan Omar would have brought a lawsuit to the courts and a a judge from Maryland would say, Trump, you're enjoined from doing it. Are we going to indulge that? We're awfully close to that point if we don't stop this. Anyway, these are the type of shows for those of you who are new uh, this new year to the show. These are the type of shows we're going to do. This is the type of information that you're not going to hear anywhere from any talk show host across the spectrum, right or left. This is what truly matters. It's not about personalities. It's not about soap opera. It's about what actually matters to our civil society, our security, our system of government. We're going to continue focusing on these issues. Pass this around to 50, 100 of your friends, relatives, neighbors. Our YouTube page at Conservative Review, um, which is part of Blaze Media. You could go and subscribe to that. Um, Like our shows, each one, and leave leave me a comment. Or you could go and email me any day, dharowitz at blazemedia.com. That is Blaze Media is one word. Follow me at rmconservative on Twitter. Have a great weekend. I certainly need the rest. I hope you have some good R&R. And we'll be back same time, same place Monday. God bless you all. <laughs>